How's it going, everybody? What? No whistling? I've been told I'm not allowed to whistle. Is that true? I think I'm going to whistle again. All everyone together. My wife hates whistling. Wow, this is, it's like a, it's like a bird sanctuary in here or something. This is interesting. Okay, stop whistling. We're done. No more whistling. It annoyed me after like 0.2 seconds after I started. I was like, I don't want this anymore. I'm done with this. Well, hey, welcome. Hey, open up your Bibles to the book, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. As you flip there, I just wanted to say welcome to Citizens Youth. If it's your first time, I'm super glad that you've joined us. I'm so thankful that somebody invited you. I'm so thankful maybe your parents forced you to come. And they kicked you out of the car and they said, please, I'll pick you up in a few hours. Um, no matter whatever your story is, however you got here, um, I believe there's a reason you're here in the room tonight, and I'm thankful for that. Um, if you're here in the room, I think that there's something that you can learn, and I think that if you're in the room right now and you're listening uh, to God's words here from his book, I believe they can change your life. And my name's Noah. I help lead our youth ministry here, and I'm super glad that you joined us. Um, so we are continuing on in week two of a series called I Am Yours. A simple series um, about one of the most complex issues in our modern day and age, the issue of identity. Who are we and what are we here to do? Now this isn't, I should say, it's not a modern question. I suppose people have been asking this from the beginning of time. Uh, Who am I and what am I here to do? Both of those questions together form our identity. Who am I? What am I here to do? And a lot of people find identity in a lot of different areas, right? We've seen recently a a humongous interest in people finding their identity in their sexuality. We've seen a lot of invested interest in people finding their identity in their gender. We've seen a lot of interest recently of people uh, finding their identity in the things that they have. We've seen a lot of people finding their identity in the things that they're supposed to do and the things that they accomplish. But the question that we have to ask ourselves Uh, When we look into the mirror, when we picture our life, when we think about these two questions, who am I and what am I here to do, what is the answer for you? What's the answer that pops up in your brain? Because on a day-to-day basis, the answer to those questions might be different than the truth that you and I uh, have to firmly believe. And in today's passage, we're going to see two answers to those questions, and we're going to see even more than that from 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, verses 11 through 21. Are you there? Have you flipped open there? Is there anyone there? Does anyone need more time? Now, the, the reality is they will be on the screen as well, but I think there's something so sweet about physical Bibles, right? I don't know about you, but whenever I use my phone Bible, I get a text message, and then it's all done. The spiritual moment is over, right? I, 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 gotta, like, I get Instagram DMs all the time now, so I don't have, I don't have TikTok because I'm like, I don't want to waste a bunch of time on it. But then now Instagram is just like TikTok light. Like, it's kind of like... It's like a miniature version of TikTok, I feel like. And so I get notifications from my friends all the time from just like reels they send me constantly. And so whenever I'm trying to read the Bible on my phone, it's like, oh, let me look at this reel. And then it's like three hours later, what happened? Where did I go? Right? And so all this to say, put your phone on the floor along with me. I need it for a timer, but symbolically, place your phone on the floor and keep your Bible in your hand. All right. So like I said, this is a second... um, This is a second iteration of our series called I Am Yours. We're going to be talking about things that are made new because of Jesus. Everyone likes new things, right? Raise your hand if you like new things. Come on, we like new things. 
We all love new things. Okay, so Christmas is around the corner. Are you looking forward to getting some new things, right? A couple new things, right? Yes. All right. I hear some yeses. hear some noes. Um, everyone likes new things. For example, I love new shoes. My wife likes new shoes. I like new shoes. When you get a fresh pair of shoes, there's something so comfortable about a brand new pair of shoes. And it just like... It makes, you could be wearing the same shirt that you always wear. You could be wearing the same hoodie you always wear, same jeans, same everything. But a new pair of shoes, it's like, dude, this is pretty nice, right? Uh, I don't know if you've ever gotten into a brand new car ever. If like your parents have ever bought a brand new car or you ever gone to like a car dealership. There's something about that new car smell, right? Something about it. You just want something new, right? I don't know if you've ever been in a brand new building or gone to a new restaurant, but there's something exciting about going to something that is new, right? Enjoying something that is new, asking for something that is new. Now, the issue is all these things don't stay new forever because then they wouldn't be new, right? You're like, that's a 50-year-old building. It's brand new. You're like, that doesn't make any sense because you just said it was old, right? Um, Everything that we have that's new eventually will fade away, right? So for me... I, I, I'm pretty notorious for like getting a brand new pair of shoes and just like stepping in like mud and being like, well, there goes that experience. It's done, right? Um, and I was doing so well with this brand new pair of shoes that I got a few months ago. I mean, I was doing really well. If it was raining, I'm like, I'm not gonna wear, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wear something else. If there was a puddle, I would like actively avoid it. And then this happened uh, not too long ago. It was one of the first rains that we had, maybe two, three weeks ago. And I was meeting with another youth pastor in the area to talk about the conference coming up. And I was just talking with him, and he went to give me a hug. Now, this guy's like 6'3". He's like a big guy. And he went to give me a hug, and like, this was like the first, so like, bros, like, you know, you don't like hug each other right away. But like, we've become friends over the past couple months. And they was like, all right, we're going to do like the hug thing. And, but he's bigger than me. And so like, it's like this awkward, like, all right, dude, have a great day. And he steps on my brand new shoes directly like this. And I was like, oh my gosh you're uninvited from my conference. Get out. Like, I was so, like, and he's like, dude, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, oh, I'm sure it wasn't a big deal. There's a massive mud stain right in the middle. And it was the most awkward thing where I'm like, well, have a good day. And that was the end of it, right? He even texted me later. He's like, how are your shoes? I'm like, they're fine. You're okay. All this to say, things that are new don't stay new. All right. We, my wife and I bought a car that was new to us a few months ago, or a few years ago at this point. And um, one of the first weeks I had it, I accidentally was pulling out of a driveway and didn't realize there was one of those electrical boxes in the side yard. And I just scraped the front bumper on that bad boy. Oh, yeah. I fixed it a little bit, but there's still a little mark you can see if you ever walk up to my car. Things that are new don't stay new. But the whole Bible, the whole story, uh, and the whole narrative of Scripture is God trying to make what has been broken new again. The entire narrative of the Bible is God creating the world for his glory, for his glorification, for, uh, to show off his majesty, humans messing that glory up and, and, and being opposed to God's law, but the entire rest of the story and the story that is still to come, the story we find ourselves in today, is the story of God making things new again. The story of God taking things that were dirty, that were broken, that were messed up, and making them brand new, as if nothing wrong had happened. If it was returned to its original design, if it was created perfectly once again. That's the story of the Bible. And that's the story you and I find ourselves in today. 
You see, God created the world, Genesis chapter 1, and he's going to completely redeem and fix everything that has ever gone wrong. Uh, we see at the end of Revelation. That's the story, and that's the future that's to come. But you and I exist in a time and a space right now where God can make us new again through redemption, through Jesus Christ. And the crazy thing about us being new is that we are new forever. We're not like a brand new pair of shoes that gets dirty eventually, and God's like, well, I guess I'll keep working on it. We're not like a car that you accidentally run into a wall because you're an idiot and it's like, well, it's not new anymore. When God makes you new, you stay new. When God creates things, he creates them perfect. And when even we sin, even we break the, uh, the, the relationship between man and God, God can make everything new again. This is what happens to a person who encounters Jesus Christ in faith. We've got this weekend coming up and I'm so excited for it. Uh, baptism. So many people who are getting baptized, who are professing their faith in Jesus, they're symbolically uh, being dunked into a body of water to show one thing, that they have been made new by Jesus Christ. But what does it mean? What does it mean to be made new, and how can everyone in this room be made new through redemption in Jesus? We know everything will be made new, but how is it possible? Well, look at verse 11. Of, uh, of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're hopefully going to answer these questions together. It says this in verse 11, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so you who may be able to answer those who boast about our outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. A little bit of context for you, since we're jumping around to a few different passages in Scripture, kind of this topical series on identity. Uh, the, the, the letter to the Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians, there's probably, uh, Paul alludes to potentially four letters to the Corinthians, but only two inspired by the Holy Spirit here in um, here in the Bible. Uh, but 2 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians are not like the sweetest little like, oh man, I love you guys so much, you're the best, right? If you spend any time in the New Testament, 1 and 2 Corinthians um, is a kind of a correctional, pastoral correctional letter, right? Um, the people in Corinth had gotten a few things uh, a little skewed. They were a little confused about a couple of things. And uh, Paul's writing this letter to the Corinthian church to remind them of a few things. And it's not the prettiest reminder. Um, there's some strong rebukes that uh, Paul does in these things. They're confused about spiritual gift. They're confused about sexual ethics. They're confused about the purpose and the reason of church. They're confused about prophecy. They're confused about tongues. They're confused about Paul's ministry. And now they're confused about who they are. And they're like, hmm. And Paul begins his pastoral reminder here in the first few verses. Since we know and fear the Lord, we persuade others, right? These first few verses is saying, um, I'm not writing to you so you can boast in me. I'm giving you a reason why you should boast in what's happening inside of us. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the first few verses here. I'm giving you and reminding you that you should boast in God. And this is true. There should be no other name that you should boast in. You shouldn't boast in the ministry of a youth group. You shouldn't boast in the ministry of a small group leader. You should only boast in the ministry of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. That's the only thing. There's only one name that is worthy of such admiration. That's what Paul is reminding uh, the church here. Look at verse 14. This is really where we're landing this first point at. For the love of Christ controls us. 
Look at that in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This is why we get to boast and he begins his gospel presentation here. One has died, or uh, since one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all. He is speaking, of course, of Jesus Christ. Speaking divinely as God's only son, Jesus began the ministry of reconciliation that Paul is reminding the Corinthians of here. He is saying, if there's a reason to boast, boast in what's happening inside of us, and remember what Jesus did. And this is what he did. He died for you. And because that is true, verse 14 is true, for the love of Christ controls us. This is our first point. We are controlled by Christ's love. Those who follow after Jesus are controlled by love. For the love of Christ controls us. This is so critical. Think about this. This is so critical in your walk and in your faith and in your journey as a Christian. The controlling power in your life is the love of Christ for you. So many times, look up here if you haven't already. Look up here. So many times in life, we think, I'm going to do this awesome thing because I love God so much. I'm going to read my Bible because I really love God. I'm going to sing on the worship team because I love God. I'm going to serve the Lord with all my heart, soul, and mind because I love God. But what Paul is saying here is so much more awesome. He is saying that Christ's love controls me, and therefore I go out and do these things. It is an entirely different thing. You're not able to muster up enough love for God to go do awesome things for him. His love is controlling you if you're following after him. This is a total shift of our perspective. For the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded that one has died for all, therefore all have died. All are subject to sin and death and suffering. But the gift of God is this. The gift of God is his son, Jesus, in whom he raised from the dead. That those who might live would no longer live for themselves, but for him. We are controlled by God's love. The love of Christ controls us. And if the love of Christ controls us, we're going to act a little bit like Jesus, which means we're going to be focused on serving the Father and serving others. Because Jesus, that's what he did. And out of love and respect and admiration for his father, Jesus served his father and he served other people. And if the love of Christ controls you, then you should be doing the same and we should be doing the same. There is no greater love than this to lay down one's life for his brother. That's what Jesus did. And that is a true symbol of love. And that's the evidence of God working in your heart. How much you love God is determined by how you treat and respect others. It is absolutely true. How you, your view of God, is evidenced by your love for other people and how you treat them. The love of Christ controls us. Have the same attitude of Christ Jesus. Though he was uh, equal with God in every single way, he didn't uh, count that a thing to be grasped. Uh, That's not something that Jesus looked upon as valuable, but rather he humbled himself by taking on the form of a servant. That's what scripture tells us. That's the ministry of Jesus, and that's our ministry. And we don't do awesome things because we love God, or we're trying to prove that we love God. The power of Christ 
controls us. The love of Christ controls us. This is totally different. This is a different thing. The reality is we're all controlled by something. We're all controlled by something. The reality is um, you are what you love. You are what you love. The desires of the human heart cannot be just ripped out of us. You and I all have desires. We have desires for success. We have desires for comfort. We have desires for love. And the reality is that you and I are exactly what we love the most. Jesus says, where your heart is, there your treasure will be. And we are what we love. And so Jesus, in this moment, kind of flips this a little bit. And he shows us that he first loved us. And through that love, we find an identity in him. But we're so easily controlled by things. We're far too easily controlled by things. And we don't like to think of ourselves as being able to be controlled by anything, right? Like if there's a video game where you're playing, you're, you're playing a game and you're controlling the character, you don't want to think that that's like your life, where someone else is calling the shots for you, where someone else is telling you exactly what to do. And the reality is that, that that's not true. You have free will. You're in charge of your own actions. But we are far too easily influenced by negative things in our life. We are far too easily influenced by the world, by the enemy, and by the things that we see around us. And I would like to prove that to you today. Go ahead and show, uh, show that first thing on, the, on this, uh, this chart. Uh, we're, we're controlled by a few things. First, I think that we're far too easily controlled uh, by our feelings. We're far too easily controlled by my feelings. Okay, what does this mean? Uh, when you're controlled by your feelings, the reality is you're just searching for peace. Um, so many people, oh, well, I just, it just felt right. Well, it just felt like I had to do this. It just, I, I felt like that was the right decision for me. Uh, you're looking for peace, all right? I felt like I should yell at that person because it would make me feel better, right? You're lurking for approval in that moment. Okay, well, I just felt like I should sin like this because, well, you're looking for peace. We're far too easily controlled by my feelings, I don't know about you, but my feelings can change like any second of any day, right? Um, I could be happy in the morning, someone cuts me off in traffic, and then I'm just like throwing the podium around the room. I'm like, they cut me off in traffic, I'm so angry. We're far too easily controlled by our feelings. Um, so we're controlled by our feelings. So flip the top one and the, and, and the one to the left here. Uh, what is being controlled by my feelings lead to? Sorry, it should say controlled by, then leads to, then my identity is in. So bear with me there a little bit. Um, so we're controlled by my feelings. That leads to what? Impulse decisions, emotional, emotional withdrawal, and potentially substance abuse, right? And then therefore, because of that, my identity is in whatever makes me feel better. If you are very easily controlled by your emotions, you'll make decisions like that. It just feels good, right? That can lead to emotional highs and lows and eventually withdrawal. People who are very easily led by their feelings do struggle with some sort of substance abuse, abuse typically. All right, it's just like a little bit of drinking. It's just like a little bit like, uh, uh, like whatever it is, it's not gonna satisfy you. So let's show that next one on the screen. All right, we're easily controlled by our feelings. Uh, we are also easily controlled um, by my achievements. This is something else that I was thinking this day. So my feelings are one thing that could lead me astray. Uh, the second is my achievement, all right? We are far too easily influenced in our decisions by wanting to achieve things. Questions we ask ourselves, will this make me more money? Will this make me look more successful, all right? Will this make me uh, look like a better person? 
We're too easily influenced by achieving. This leads to a few things. One, this leads to overworking, right? If you find a lot of value in achievement, you will work hard, and that's, that can be good. But if you're working for the wrong reasons, you will overwork yourself to death. This leads to the fear of failure, all right? What happens if that project you were working on didn't go well? All right, you're just going to be constantly fearful of not being good enough. And then you're going to be uh, subject to a lack of balance in your life, meaning uh, you're not going to be able to differentiate between when you're supposed to work for God and when you're overworking. All right, and this leads to a few different things. My identity now is in my bank account. My identity is in uh, the awards that I get. My identity is in my achievements and my recognition from my peers. All right, we're far too controlled by our achievements. And then number three, here's another one I think it's very common for, for us and for this generation. We're controlled by uh, the fear of man, all right? What will this person think of me? What will, what will they think of me? W- what if I do this thing and they don't like it? W- what if they reject me because I decided to fall after the Lord? We're too influenced by other people. Questions, will I be closer to others? Will they love me more? Will I be good enough, right? This leads to a few things, right? It leads to overthinking. You're just overthinking about what people think, what people say, how they look at you, the color of your, like, the color of your hair, the color of your clothes. It will lead to overthinking to the point where you are absolutely going insane. And because of that, your identity will be in your relationships. All right, we're controlled by a fear of man, achievement, my feelings. But what is being said here in verses 14? For the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. What Paul is saying is we must be controlled by the love of Christ. And what does that lead to? That leads to the service of others. That leads to a denial of the self. And that leads to personal holiness that can only be found in Jesus. And that leads us to an identity that is also found in Jesus. And that's exactly where we need to be. Who am I and what am I here to do? One of the questions, one of the answers to that question appears to be, I'm supposed to be here to live for Jesus. And the next few verses hopefully will prove that um, hunch to be true. Verse 16, it says, From now on, therefore, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. That's in verse 16. Then verse 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. This is such an awesome truth for you in your life. If you are in Jesus, then you are a new creation in him. If you know Jesus, then you are a new creation. If you belong to Jesus, you're brand new. You are a new creation in him. Now, creation shouldn't be a word that you just kind of gloss over here. Right? It says this, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. That can't just be overlooked. That can't just be like a cute word that we look on and say, all right, that's awesome. All right, God isn't making like a a carpet. Uh, God isn't making like a new ceramic mug. 
God's not painting a new painting. Uh, He is not making a fancy new table. God is making creation new. That word creation there is in the very beginning of the Bible. Does anyone know Genesis 1, chapter 1, or chapter 1, verse 1? Say it out loud. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You are a part of God's story to make creation new. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You can't just overlook that word. So often in our life, we're like, yeah, I'm new. I used to be this way. No, 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 you're a new creation. You are brand new. You are a part of God's story to reconcile all things to himself. If you've ever had beef with someone, all right, if you've ever been really like someone did something wrong, somebody that you love and cared for, um, you know, just completely backstabbed you, if you've ever been completely mad at someone, uh, you may have to go through the process of reconciliation. And if you've ever been in that moment where someone's really hurt your feelings, somebody has really um, made something wrong between you two, um, if it's been a parent, a cousin, a sibling, sometimes it could be really deep wounds. But the reality is the reconciliation process can be pretty difficult. To be reconciled to your brother or sister means that not only do you forgive one another, but that means that you are once again reestablished in your relationship. Now, I think everyone needs to forgive, and not everything can be reconciled, all right? But I do believe we're all supposed to forgive, no matter how difficult or painful um, someone has done something to us. But reconciliation is not always possible, right? Someone could have hurt you and they, 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 they passed away maybe, right? That's happened before to many people. Possibly someone who's been older, someone who wanted to make things right, but then too much time went by and all of a sudden they can't. It's not always possible to reconcile with your brother or sister, but it is possible to be reconciled to God. And it is possible to be reconciled to God when you are brand new. And this is the beauty of the gospel. If you are in Christ, then you are a new creation. Genesis is irreparable, like creation's been irreparably broken in Genesis chapter 3. But God promises to make a new creation in the end of Revelation. But right now, in this exact moment, you can be made new through the power of Jesus Christ. You can be a new creation and a part of that new creation through Christ. From the beginning of time as we understand it to the end of time as we know it, God's goal has been the same. God's goal has been the same. Verse 19, that is this. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. I picture God with arms wide open, just kind of like bringing, like there's just like this explosion that happened. And he's kind of bringing in all the pieces together to make something awesome again. That is what's happening. And in our human hearts, the dumpster fire it is, God is reconciling our hearts to his heart, just like he will do with the entire world, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Man, verses like this are so important to, to have under your belt. When people say, well, if God's making all things right, like, can he make things right for everyone? Right? Like, even if my friend who's a Mormon, they kind of believe other things, isn't it like a little fundamentalist to you to just say Jesus is the only way? That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. All right? (laughs) It's right there. In Christ, God is doing these things. It's been God's plan from the beginning. And I love you enough to tell you Jesus is the only way. And you would love somebody uh, really well to tell them the same. 
In this, Christ was reconciling the world to himself. You are a new creation. Old titles to be thrown away. Old titles that you can think of in your mind when you think about yourself that have to be thrown away. I'm a sinner. I'm dirty. I'm broken. I'm angry. I'm lustful. All of those things need to be tossed to the side. And you need to embrace your new identity as a new creation in God. This is so important. Uh, I'm not an angry person that God decided to love. I'm not a lustful person that God decided to love. I'm not a sinner that God decided to love. I used to be all of those things, but my identity now stands in verses like this. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. I have been made new. I'm not saying I don't struggle with all those sins I just listed. I absolutely still do, and you will too. But the reality is, In Jesus, you are a new creation, and your identity shifts because of that truth, because of that reality. Uh, You will wrestle with sin. You will wrestle with suffering, but your identity is permanently fixed in God's eyes as a new creation. You have to understand that. It doesn't matter what you're going through right now. I'm struggling with porn again. I'm just like a sinner. God must have never loved me in the first place. I went too far with my boyfriend or my girlfriend. I'm just like kind of dirty now forever. I broke all of the promises that I made to God at camp. He must like have a different plan for me now. No, no, no. The reality is this. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation and that identity withstands. Do not let the enemy convince you of anything else. Don't let the enemy, don't let yourself, your own flesh or the world tell you who you are before God tells you tonight, right now, as I'm speaking, that you are a new creation. This is essential because the enemy wants us to forget who we are to get us to act like who we used to be. That's exactly what the enemy wants to do. Because if you forget who you are in Jesus, you're going to act like someone who doesn't know Jesus. But this is the most critical thing that you could say to the enemy. The often, I think the enemy wants us to be tripped up in our identity before he wants to twist our hearts to sin. All right, I, well, like, you're just a sinner anyway. You might as well keep going. All right, well, you're just a lustful person. You might as well uh, keep continuing in that sin. All right, well, you're just angry. You might as well continue, right? No, 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 no. That is not the identity anymore. Verses like this have to be believed. I am in Christ and I am a new creation, but new creation shouldn't continue to engage in sin, right? I'm not saying that, uh, and there's grace and there's forgiveness and we're striving for personal holiness, but you need to know who you are and who you belong to, or the enemy will try to tell you something different and you will try to convince yourself that you're something different and the world will try to convince you that you're something different. But if you are in Christ then you have a new identity. The old has passed away. It's dead and in the ground. They had the funeral and it was last week. Dead, passed away. The new has come. You are something new, right? Like, I guess I'm dirty and banged up, but God's using me. Uh, No, no, you were dead and now you're alive. That's a big difference. I'm just like, you know, I got all these things I'm working through. Yes, that's true, but you used to be dead and now you're alive. Don't get this wrong. Don't forget this. Because when you forget who you are, you will forget who you belong to and you will begin to act like the world. And I don't want that for you. I want you to know who you are. The most powerful truth you could tell the enemy, your flesh, the world, I'm a new creation. 
My decisions sprout forth from that identity. And any sin I commit today or tomorrow has been covered by the blood of Jesus. And I will repent and recognize that for he has already forgiven me on the cross. With the new creation comes a new identity and a new purpose. You have been made new. And if you're in this room tonight and you don't know Jesus yet, you can be made new before we walk out those doors. I believe that with all my heart. With the new creation comes a new identity and new purpose. What are we here to do? Who am I and what am I here to do? Well, that's a great question. Uh, Look at verse 20 as we continue and we conclude here. Verse 20, it says, Therefore, because of all these things, because God has entrusted us with reconciliation, because God has made us new, because God has reminded us who we are in him, because of all these things are true, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him sin who knew no sin. That's Jesus. So that in Jesus, we could become the righteousness of God. If you are a new creation, you are now an ambassador for Jesus. You are now an ambassador for Jesus. What does that mean? That means you represent Jesus. It's kind of cool reading this. Um, There were ambassadors for thousands and thousands of years before this, and we have ambassadors today, right? So often you read the Bible and you're like, oh my gosh, what does this have to say about me? What does this have to say about what I'm going through? This isn't even in like our modern day and age. We still have ambassadors. That's the thing. That's still a thing that exists. Ambassadors are really good because they can prevent wars from happening. Very good thing. Um, what is a job title, uh, or what is, what is the job de- uh, description of an ambassador? All right, an ambassador is a human representative of a country, a human representative of a country, and they are picked by a president, a king, or a leader from the home country to represent their country in a foreign land. Let's put it like this. Let's say that I lied, and I actually was born in Ottawa, Canada, and I decided to get into politics for some reason, because that would be good for everybody. Um, And I decided, you know what? I want to become an ambassador for Canada because I love maple syrup and I love trees. What else do they have? I don't know. They own like half of the trees. They have a couple hockey teams. They got a lot of hockey teams, Happy, A whole lot of snow, all right? And I'm like, I love Canada so much. I want to become an ambassador for Canada. Go Canada. And I'm going to get into the politics and and the prime minister of Canada selects me, right, to be an ambassador in the United States. Oh, yeah. Now, did you know this? This is actually a true thing. Who's been to Washington, D.C.? Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, pretty average city, but um, that's just because I grew up going there a lot. Um, Washington, D.C., there are embassies. There's a Canadian embassy, which I looked it up. It's humongous. We gave way too much land to the Canadians in D.C. It's huge. There's a Canadian embassy where legally that land belongs to Canada. And the people who work there are Canadians. And their job is to represent, oh, sweet Canada. I'm trying not to be disrespectful with the flag, but we did throw these around camp for like eight years, so whatever. Um, that would be my job. And what's happening here is so much more significant because what he is saying, what the writer is saying, is say, now who you represent is Jesus. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Jesus. Christ making his appeal through us. As an ambassador for Christ, we're a human representative picked by King Jesus to represent King Jesus. 
all right? We are picked by Jesus, and we're responsible for representing and ushering in the interests of the king, who is Jesus. We're responsible to represent the homeland, which is heaven. No kingdom on earth. That's what Jesus is calling you and I to today. He is calling us to be ambassadors for his kingdom. The interests that you represent are now the interests of the kingdom of God. The orders that you receive are directly from God, and the proverbial flag that you fly over your life is now Christ Jesus. That is what he's calling us to. And you might not be a great ambassador yet, but congratulations, you got the job. Like, oh my goodness. If you know Jesus, you're an ambassador for him. And I thought, I thought of this like really cool, like I was thinking about this, like because God loves us, because God has invited us into the kingdom and God has reconciled us to him, we live in the kingdom of God, so to speak, because Christ lives in us and the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. The space that we occupy is the kingdom because we're an ambassador for him and we're responsible for ushering in the interests of the kingdom. He has welcomed us into it. As citizens of heaven, we're responsible for living in the kingdom now. And we invite others to experience the same love that we have been shown. The goal is to be made more and more like Christ. That is absolutely true. But if your faith isn't focusing on others to see the goodness of God, then you and I are missing it. If we look at these verses and say, awesome, God's made me new and that's really great, but we don't remember the charge immediately after that to be an ambassador for him, we are missing it. Because you are charged with what? Entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That's the gospel. How good is it? Like if your friends are like fighting and they're like made up and everything's good, how awesome is it to like go to your friends and be like, hey, like these two people were fighting, they, they, they figured it out and now we're all friends again, right? That's such good news. But we're charged with much greater story. Um, God has reconciled everything to himself through Jesus Christ. And I got really good news to tell you. He's made things right in my life and he can make things right in your life too. That's what a good ambassador does. And that's what you and I have to do. And that's what citizens you should be. It should be a beacon of hope and joy in a world that is lost and is dying and can jump off the ship of the world and into the kingdom of God and to be reconciled to himself. But the question is, who in your life has seen Jesus in you and how are their lives different? You're entrusted with the message. I'm entrusted with the message. We are entrusted with the message. But how is somebody's life now different through Christ working through you? Whose life has been changed? Who knows Jesus who didn't know Jesus a year ago? Who's in this room who wasn't in this room a year ago? And I believe those stories happen. I believe it's beautiful because of the love of Christ in you. It's been on your heart, I'm sure, if you're a Christian. But have you followed up? Have you followed through? It has to be on your heart if you're an ambassador because God has supernaturally put it on your heart. But have you followed through with it? Have you taken the call? Who needs to hear of the ministry of reconciliation? We'll close with this. The end of verse 20. It says this, We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Make things right. Respond to the gospel. Respond to his name. 
implore you, we beg you, we, we ask of you, we beg you, be reconciled. Have the gap that's between God and man be healed through who? Jesus, on behalf of Christ. It's only possible on behalf of Christ. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the gospel. And you have an opportunity to respond to that if you don't know Jesus. You have an opportunity to take on a new identity. You have the opportunity and the call to be reconciled to Christ, to walk out of this room and know, believe in your heart that you are a new creation. And that identity will never be taken away. That identity can never be covered up by the world. That identity will never fade. You have been reconciled if you know Jesus and you can be reconciled right now. And so I implore you this moment to be reconciled with God, to respond to his goodness, to respond to what he's called you to do and to embrace him in faith. Why don't you bow your heads with me? If you're in the room and you are um, lonely and sad and angry and anxious, and you feel like you are at your wit's end, and you've just been running towards this, you don't even know what you're running towards, and you're tired, um, you could be made new. If you grew up in the church and you... um, You've heard this. You actually probably have led other people to Christ. Maybe. Um, You've led other people to Christ. You can answer 100% on a Bible test, but you realize in this moment that you haven't been made new from the power of Jesus. Then I implore you as well. And if you're in this room right now and your heart is still hardened, I implore you to seek the reconciliation of God. Now, forgiveness looks like this. Forgiveness is responding to what God is already doing. Forgiveness can only be found through Jesus. And it's okay if you don't understand, but the Holy Spirit's putting it on your heart right now. I just implore you on behalf of Christ, pray to him. And there's nothing magical about like a specific prayer. There's nothing magical about like um, saying the right words. Um, But asking uh, for forgiveness is very simple. It's believing in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you are professing him as Lord. That's what Romans chapter seven says. So you can profess that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. So God, in this moment, in this space, I pray for um, my brothers and sisters in the room who want to be reconciled to you. God, I pray um, that they would find their hope, their joy, and their faith in you. God, I pray in this moment they would, in the quiet of their own heart, say, God, I'm a sinner and I need to be made new. Keep me, protect me, help me be one of your children. I pray that they would, I pray that and repent and turn to you in faith. Now, I pray for my brothers and sisters in the room who already know you and they've heard this before. I need to have my identity in Christ. I need to have my identity in Christ. They probably have it crocheted on a pillow in their house. Uh, I pray that they believe it. And that's that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.